2024 ghosties we're back kind of we're taking a <laughs> little bit of a winter break uh so we are bringing back one of our favorite episodes of all time featuring my sibling dl mayfield we wanted to give a couple updates this is one of our all-time favorite episodes it's one of our most listened to episodes and it definitely went very viral on tiktok episodes so <laughs> We thought if you haven't heard it or even if you have, it's a good time to re-listen to it. There's a lot of important stuff that is said here, but I wanted to give a little context for sort of what's happening now. So as I mentioned, DL is my younger sibling. I'm the oldest of three. Danielle's the middle. And they are, this past year, they came out as non-binary. They very publicly deconverted from Christianity, not just deconstruction, but it's no longer a Christian and those are probably the big ones. Um, and those, <laughs> those are like some things. Whole identity shifts for everyone who knows them. Yeah. And DL was a very successful Christian author, has published three books, um, was very, very big in kind of the deconstruction, progressive Christian space, and has sort of blown that up. And it'll be interesting if you listen to this episode with that in mind, just think through like, to me, now, you know, ha having known this person my whole life, it was surprising in some senses, but also I'm like, oh, yeah, that <laughs> makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I so. know this person. I've seen this person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. And when we recorded this, um, Dia was still using she, her pronouns. So uh, when we re refer to them now, we will use they, them, but just know that this was recorded before they came out as non-binary. Some of the best parts about this episode were the revelations that I think we all came to. Um, like in the opening, lens, you mentioned Dr. Dobson. There's some really uh, fun conversations and some revelations there around that. And, you know, for me, the one that rings in my ears all the time is very similar to Sarai's, uh, you know him, you love him, Larry. Come on. Larry Anderson. Say it with me. My wife's a Republican, but I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. <laughs> uh, but DL oh said, Jesus is a tool of high control religion. I, I, and it broke something. <laughs> it broke something, I think, in a lot of people that created this almost new worldview. And, and I, you know, it did that for DL. And um, I think for me, that's one of the important reasons why this is one of my best ofs that I want more people to hear kind of what they express and 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 it's a really kind of i don't know maybe key moment in their deconversion uh, this conversation came at a really raw and vulnerable time uh and dl continued to be really vulnerable and raw publicly and um you know received a lot of negativity um so i'm really hopeful that putting this out again is going to bring back the positivity and the love um the acceptance and bring all the the right beautiful people um around to support and encourage each of us in, in the process wherever we're at i i love this episode too and i have to i'll make a fun uh full confession here i was going through some deep personal trauma of my own at the time and i was like pretty high while we recorded that episode <laughs> which you can tell because it was just me being like yeah slow oh not like, i think i was on mute and just looked like totally clapping the whole time um but yeah, I loved I loved how DL shared how they 
just realized things and how quickly they did adopt that truth and reality and how much they trusted themselves to know when enough was enough and and to leave that behind. I I love I love their story so much because of that. And also I love the passion and I agree of course I feel like just snaps to all of the things that they've said um in this episode. So I hope that everybody gets a little something out of it and and once again just thank you to DL for sharing this with us and our listeners and and for being so honest about your experience and and what what it's what's happened you know we titled this episode um something about losing their religion and um it got me thinking about what movie title would best describe your deconstruction or your deconversion and i'm thinking like the fast and the furious is where dl landed they were like loud and proud just kind of set it out in front of everybody um i've been a little more men in black like secretive and maybe like not really talking i mean yes i have a podcast now about my deconstruction and some of that but that wasn't uh that wasn't always the case uh, but i don't know like what what lens do you have one what would be your movie title of where you, how you describe your deconstruction i feel like mine is i don't know is there like an appropriate uh, lord of the rings it's like very slow and yes. building <laughs> and um, oh, it's the, the whole trilogy cut. It's the full yeah, trilogy. The, entire, director's cut. the director's cut <laughs> trilogy. There's some like big moments. There's some low lows. Like I'm walking. It also includes the Hobbit in there. Like yes, maybe the Silmarillion my... is even a part of your. She can. Okay, yeah, I'm. I'm yeah, yeah, 100%. right there. Mine is. It, mine is literally a lifelong journey. Is what yes. I'm trying to say. It is the longest movie that has ever been created. Hundred <laughs> percent. Oh, As I man. walk to fucking Mordor. I was hey, at least just... you uh, don't believe hell exists anymore. So true. That is good. That is good. Your journey Yay. won't end in Mordor. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Maybe in Rivendell. I wanted to end at the Shire. You guys are Call me just out. nerding That's, out yeah. so hard right now. I love it. I love it. And I was a real <laughs> nerd back in the day. I collected yeah. all the light up Burger King goblets. Okay. Well, Whoa, then 100%. Cool. But anyways. All right. Sarai. Enough of this nerd stuff. I don't know. Maybe you'll go no more nerdy than that. Is it is it more in the Fast and Furious from that perspective? Yeah. Is there a movie called I Baptized Myself into My Own Divinity? <laughs> what about a there witch movie? There will be soon. I'm going to make a what documentary. What about a witch movie? <laughs> a witch movie. Oh, right. It's a rye witch project. <laughs> Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus. Yes. Okay. My movie is Hocus Pocus. Not because of the content <laughs> of the movie, but because of the title. The title. Only. It's just about the title. Very superficially Hocus Pocus. And I think it's I think it's because I did I did magically switch <laughs> lanes very quickly and mm -hmm. and also in a very earnest way. And my deconstruction was was gradual and uh, like I've said on this podcast many times weirdly grounded in my exegesis of Jesus and so that's that's the title I somebody else like hey ghosties if you think of a better movie that means what I'm saying <laughs> don't think too hard about the men in black reference it has nothing to do with the movie at all just all about how I did it real secret and private for a real long time until suddenly one day 
I think I just realized <laughs> that I wasn't sure anymore. And then I was scared. Um, I'm not scared anymore. And, you know, I think that also is the whole meaning of the movie Men in Black is just don't be scared of things you don't know. Point is, there is no one singular way to deconstruct or deconvert. And we harp on this point all the time because we're in different places. And DL was in one place when we recorded this episode and is in a different place now. And that's okay. And like I was kind of joking about Lord of the Rings, it is a lifelong journey and we will be unlearning this stuff forever. And we kind of are changing the intro of our podcast. We used to just say a podcast about deconstruction with your middle-aged mom friends. And we want it to be so much more than that. Um, it is about deconstruction, but it's also like what comes after deconstruction and how do we reconstruct those parts of ourselves how do we find new communities what what do we leave behind and what do we keep with us like there are parts of our upbringings that still bring us joy like we all will fucking love amy grant till the day that we die we're not <laughs> letting that go let okay let us worship with amy <laughs> <laughs> and and that's okay and so yeah i think going into 2024 like we're not going to change a whole lot we're still going to be our middle-aged mom friends and we will definitely be talking about deconstruction and evangelicalism but we also want to look forward to what's ahead and we hope this is like a big and amazing year and it's gonna be a hard year it's an election year people yeah and look we will out. be getting into that stuff as well we uh, we have a lot of fun stuff planned so enjoy this best of episode we will be back with a brand new episode in two weeks and we will be releasing some fun stuff on our Patreon. So if you have not signed up or subscribed on Apple Podcasts, please go do so. We appreciate all of the support. And we're hoping, again, to do some really rad stuff in 2024. So come along for the ride, Ghosties. We love you all. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Ghosties. Happy New Year. Jesus is a tool of high control religion. No. Welcome to Holy Ghosting, a podcast about deconstruction from your middle-aged mom friends. And today we have a very special guest, my sister, known on the internet as D.L. Mayfield, but known mm -hmm. to me as Danielle Mayfield or Danielle Stranigan mm -hmm. um, or Squiddy or whatever else your nicknames were as we were, <laughs> as we were children. I was Squirt. She was Squid. Our youngest sister was Spud. So um, I'm the eldest Stranigan sister and uh danielle and i have had many adventures together and we have sort of deconstructed together in very different ways but we have as we've become older realized that uh, maybe our brains function a little differently and is probably why we view religion and god and our upbringing a little differently and we'll get into some of that but mostly we just want to hear from danielle today on what it's like being a neurodivergent in evangelicalism is that how we say it? A neurodivergent? That sounds like um someone who is neurodivergent, I guess, but it's fine. It's fine. Whatever. You gotta educate this normie over here. <laughs> uh so I could wax poetic about all the incredible things Danielle has done and written, but she will do a better job of that herself. So Danielle, tell us a little bit about who you are and like what what are your special interests? Oh, that's a very good question, Lindsay. Gold. <laughs> Star. Um, yes, I know. I've been paying great. attention. Someone reads your Substack. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> Lindsay, it's funny because you just know me so well, but also like sometimes it's hard to get a clear, you know, picture on your sibling or whatever as we grow and change. And I feel like this year 
I've had so many massive changes and you've just rolled with all of them. So I just want to say that off the go, like Lindsay's really awesome that way. But yeah, I, um, I'm a writer. I've been writing in Christian spaces for a long time. I have written multiple books and, uh, I think what I want to talk about today and the background people need to know about me today for this podcast is that in the past year, I got diagnosed as autistic. And what ended up happening was I ended up deconverting from Christianity as a result. And I was like one of those all in Christians. Like not only was I writing books and articles, but like I got my degree in missions in teaching literacy to non like non-literate refugees here in the United States. I lived in low-income housing for almost 15 years. Um, you know, I went the whole Shane Claiborne route. And I, not only was I like immersed in trying to help people, I was also like on the front lines of trying trying to convince white evangelicals to love their neighbors in the past decade. And so I think like taking a step back in the years we've experienced and, you know, even before Trump, they were just terrible. They were terrible people to try and convince to think about anyone besides themselves, if I'm being perfectly honest. I think Trump really started to make it much more visible for people. But I've been sort of like panic mode like since 2016, you know, trying to get my people, trying to be like, guys, if you just read Jesus, like we actually would like love people and like society could be upside down. It is so great. And uh, being diagnosed autistic really gave me the tools and clarity to learn how to regulate my nervous system, which then allowed me to see with clarity um, kind of like the religious indoctrination I had been a part of for my whole life. So sorry, long-winded, lots to unpack there, uh, but that's me. And I'm writing about all this stuff on my Substack called God is My Special Interest. And yeah, if any of this sounds interesting to people, they can follow me there. And I do have a podcast that I do with my husband crispin where we dis dissect evangelical pop culture of the 80s and 90s called the prophetic imagination station we are de-influencing adventures in odyssey frank peretti and right now we're talking about dc talks jesus freak album and i have a whole episode up with both Lindsay and our younger sister about being martyrs um, for god <laughs> it's a real, such yeah, a good episode real lighthearted like, talking about how we, we all thought we were gonna fun. die we make we it do. fun okay but yeah, but it's, it's fun and it's not only fun, but it's like you, you all took me back to a time that I clearly remembered in my young, youthful, like girl upbringing, except it was a, it was a time and space that I had forgotten. Like I, I had never really unpacked what the end times trilogy had actually done to me. Yeah. Um, and, and when the episode started, I was like, Oh, fun for them that they like went that deep. Like I roll. And then by like the middle of the episode, I was like, Oh, I, I was that deep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, isn't that yeah. wild? We always are like, there's people who are deeper than us. So it really didn't yeah. impact us that much. And that's actually a strategy of like cults or high control places. They always point to people who are in a more like, you know, visible cults or something mm. like that. And so I, I don't know. I think that's really fascinating. And really what we have to learn to do is to pay attention to ourselves and how our inner worlds experienced the theology and ethics of evangelicalism. And I think a lot of us will are definitely going to find some trauma there if we if we do that digging. Yeah. When you got your diagnosis, did you instantly make a connection? Or is it when you started to learn more about yourself and what autism looks like in your life, did you then start to see something change? 
Yeah, I think at, at the beginning, I was it was like a total like mind reframe for me because both Lindsay and I grew up in a house where our older brother was diagnosed autistic in, in the 80s. So this was, you know, back when hardly anybody was getting diagnosed. He ended up um, passing away in a car accident when we were both small children. And so we knew that autism existed, but he also had like intellectual disabilities and just presented in a really classic like white male middle class boy ways. And um, and so really, I think I was just an extremely shy child who didn't like to talk and who was totally enmeshed with my mother and um, was basically in like the free state for most of my life. However, when I talk about my life, I'm like, I was just a really shy kid till I left home. And then I became like intense missionary, then like activist writer person. And honestly learning I was autistic was like oh my gosh now I have to start to learn to pay attention to my body because you know the hallmarks of autism are one is that your brain processes information differently than other people and two you have a highly sensitive nervous system and so you know you are more sensitive to like sound and taste and texture and all, all those things right and once I started paying attention to my body and saying, you know, I actually am a highly sensitive person. I've just been trying to wish it away my whole life. And once you're middle-aged, right, you're like, oh, no, I I'm actually not developing a tougher skin, you know, and actually, like, I'm just as sensitive as I've always been, except now I'm totally burnt out because I've pushed past my limits for so long. So I had to go back to the basics of like, well, how the heck do you calm a nervous system that has been dysregulated? And you've been stuck in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, you know, your whole life. And so it really started with things like freaking TikTok, man. TikTok didn't diagnose me, but TikTok, I feel like saved my life because I started watching some TikToks about like, just put an ice pack on your chest for 10 minutes. Like, and that actually gets blood to rush to the vagus nervous system, right? That mm. can calm you down. I started doing that 10 minutes a day. Like, and then I started doing like things that are more in my body, right? Like going on these walks and connecting to my emotions, like, and it all kind of spiraled out from there. Like when you start to, you know, connect your nervous system and your emotions and your body, it really just does spread out into every area of your life. So I think I just finally got calm enough mm -hmm. uh, and my brain started to quiet a bit. And I think there's just a lot of revelations I had in a really short period of time, but some of them included uh, my childhood was one of religious indoctrination, right? Um, my caregivers did not have unconditional love and being a Christian was the most important thing to the people in my life. I was very isolated, so I didn't have any outside contact with people that could ever tell me otherwise. And um, I started to realize that I have not been in a conversation with the Holy Spirit for the past 38 years of my life, but instead I've been really... Um, encouraged to interrogate and ruminate in ways that have you know basically I have like really intense religious OCD and mm -hmm. I've had it for a really long time and so now I'm I'm in the healing phase right I'm doing the nervous system work I'm doing all this stuff for long enough that my brain will be quiet sometimes and that just makes me want to cry and I do I cried last night just thinking like I could have been living life like this the whole time like my brain was so busy and sad and full of terror and striving within Christianity. And that was encouraged at all times. I was, a, I was like the star Christian y'all. 
And I was very mentally unwell. She's not wrong. Yeah. It's- yeah. I mean, Lindsay, I don't yeah, know if you want to jump in and say what you want to say. <laughs> well, I mean, I always joke that you were my own personal Holy Spirit. Like you were all always the better kid. You were always the one telling me when I was wrong, like if I would cuss because as we, we were discussing off mic earlier that <laughs> I am a potty mouth and I always have been. Um, and you know, I mean the jokes she would read, Danielle was always a voracious reader and she would read these books and then like tell my parents like not to read them. Cause it was like too adult of content, like stuff like that, which I thought was my parents thought was hilarious. Like she'd be like, Oh yeah, this has was this like, Frank Reddy of- because no, it's Jurassic park. I read, I, I read all the Michael Crichton books when I was like nine and I oh. would be like, mom, there's like some language. You probably don't want to read that one. Like, oh, so nine-year-old telling her mom, not even the like, gore. She's yeah, like censoring it with a sharpie. No, I gore was a gore wasn't a problem in our family for some yeah. reason. Nobody sex cares about sure. gore. Yes, if there was, was sex, bad. right out. Uh, sex gore, and we swears. Get, yeah, sex and swears. Sex and swears. But like, man, people chopping each other up in the last Mohicans. That was great. My parents were all about it. But yeah, it's. I mean, it's interesting. Like when Danielle first got diagnosed, I had a hard time wrapping my brain around it because we, we do have autism in our family and I know what it like looks like in a certain way. And so it just, you know, again, when I've known someone my whole life and how they are, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. You're like weird, but you're like, we're all weird in our own way, but it's, it's been interesting. We, we have talked a lot about this, just how differently we've sort of landed and our feelings on. And I think a lot of it is, um, cause I just didn't buy in as much as Danielle did. And I, it sucks. Like I, I didn't realize, I, it's only now that I'm realizing like how damaging all that was. And like, I look at our caregivers and I just didn't feel, I mean, I performed in ways. I mean, I did lots of things to get love and acceptance, but mine was much more, I think I just wasn't expected to be a spiritual because I wasn't. So for me, it was like, I had to get straight A's and I was on student council and mine was much more like I was expected to go be some awesome business. You know, my family, I was like, Lindsay's going to be a lawyer. Like that was sort of what my expectation Mm -hmm. was, but yeah, it was very different. Like Danielle was the hope like for, to be a missionary and to change the world for, for God. Yeah. I think that's fascinating because mom, my mom really did, you know, homeschooled me basically was like, she told me she always wanted to be a missionary, but since she married my dad, she couldn't. So she was like, so you'll be a missionary. So I never applied to colleges. Was that family business idea? Like you guys were like, who's going to take over the ministry? Was that you, Danielle? I mean, no, it was, it was mostly my mom. And so looking back right now that I'm able to sort of step outside and, and develop some boundaries, it's just like, yeah, I think it's pretty classic um, some toxic family stuff in there with emotionally immature parents. And, and honestly, there's a huge overlap between people who've experienced trauma and, you know, don't develop emotional maturity we would expect of an adult. And and those types of people are really drawn to high control religions like evangelicalism. So my parents both had pretty hard upbringings in different ways and they, you know, are kind of baptized into the Jesus movement of the 1970s. Mm-hmm. They have kids get married young. And like Dr. Dobson's like, listen, you just spank the shit out of your kids yeah. and make sure you break their spirits. Like, and everything will work out. Like yeah. your kids will not be traumatized. Like they will be great, fully formed adults. And all of these things about evangelicalism, all the media, all the sermons, all the ways people interpret the Bible, like it is based around 
some really toxic ways of interacting with people and viewing yourself as the center of the universe. So there's this idea of supremacy, Christian supremacy and totalism that is the bread and butter of evangelicalism. And it attracts people who are like, yes, I do hear from God. And yes, Mm -hmm. everyone should believe just like me or else they will burn for all eternity. And therefore I don't actually have to think about their needs, concerns, or wants in a civic society if they're not a part of my team. And so, you know, there's all that going on. And then there's some other just other stuff going on with my mom's mental health. And it's a pretty classic thing, right? In these emotionally unhealthy families, you have the perfect child, you have the scapegoat. And then there's people like Lindsay who are just like, well, I'm on my own and I'm piecing out. Overachiever. Here I go. The the avoidant overachiever and and the person who leaves home as early as they can, which is definitely Lindsay. And so out of there. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you guys grew up with families that are as into it, but I'm, I am curious if people listening, if they sense like, yeah, my parents were so all in on this religion and growing up, I had this sense, like if I didn't buy in, right, you're kind of punished. Like the love is conditional. It's so important to your caregiver. And so of course, when they're like, do you want to commit for life? Yeah to not only be a Christian, but to make sure other people become Christians too at six years old, or else you'll, not only will you be in hell, but like everybody, you know, be in hell if you don't tell them. I'm autistic. I'm taking it literally. My mom says she's hearing from God every day. I'm like, okay, then yes, yeah. sign me up the adults for a life not lying. This. That's what I thought, right? Like yeah. the adults were the ones who were like, Hey, look, we went through this whole thing. We figured it out. There's this Bible. It tells you all the rules. I was like, awesome. Great. I'm eating it up. I'm like, Check, 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 check. But then I watched my brother do something bad and I'd be like, oh yeah, no, he is, that is not okay. And I would be like, make a note. Also, this is not okay because your brother got in trouble for it. And, and now I realize like they did not have their shit together. They were my age. Um, I often think about like when Rodney King happened, the rhetoric I heard was he disobeyed police orders. Mm-hmm. Um, they're protecting us in our community. Police are our best friends. That is fucked up. Okay. That you, that's what you are going to see. And that's what you're going to explain to your kid. And that's the worldview that you're going to perpetuate in them. I don't know. Like I wasn't a fan of that I mean, attitude. It's, it's just I mean, really interesting to think about like, yeah, our parents did latch on to this full worldview that they were like, and there can never be any cracks in it. You can never interrogate it. You can never, you know, kind of back down from it. And I'm like, I am now 38. I have a 12 year old and a seven year old. Like, I tell them when I don't understand something, I apologize when I make a mistake. I yes. listen to them. If they tell me they're experiencing the world in a certain way and have questions and concerns, I listen to them. And so I think this, I think me, my deconversion has been a long time coming because parenting my kids has been a perpetual slap in the face mm-hmm. of how, reminding me of how I was raised so differently. And it, yes. and that's a grief I don't really know how to unpack. And I think me being autistic and just the things my mom like she she truly was probably in a period of of psychosis for several years looking back on our life. Um just because she truly thought the end of the world was happening, she would tell me about that every morning, would read the book of Revelation every day, was spending hours talking to God. 
And I was the person she told about all of it because I was like her best friend. Again, I was eight, nine, 10, 11, wow. all this stuff. She th- she heard God tell her that she was going to die um, when I was 11. And she told me, but I wasn't allowed to tell my dad or my mm. sisters. And so that whole year, she'd have these like secret conferences with me about how God was keeping, t- you know, all this stuff. So Lindsay did not get any of this stuff. And I think that's an interesting thread to my story is that, yes, I have written books. I have been a person on the internet. I have a podcast, but like, I think when I got my autism diagnosis and I started looking at like, what is actually in the categories of the DSM five, there's two components to like, what makes it a disability or mental illness or whatever. Um, and, and one of them is just right. Like you have these restricted and repetitive interests or behaviors. And I was like, okay, obviously God is my special interest. I've been (laughs) obsessed with this my whole life, you know? Um, But then the second component is like social and emotional deficits in communication and in relationship and being like naive and vulnerable to exploitation. And I was like, that is so not me. Like, Like I'm like such a tough cookie. I'm a lone wolf. I know my own brain. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, damn, I think I was a true believer who took it all literally and seriously. And I think I've been exploited by people within evangelicalism my entire life. It started with my parents. Then it was YWAM. Then it was Bible college. Then it was, you know, these mission orders among the poor. Then it was progressive Christianity. I've been exploited by all of them, if I'm being honest, because I was a true believer and because I was autistic. And so that's been a hard pill to swallow. Nobody wants to think of themselves as being exploitable. And yet all of us have the capacity for that, especially the more you believe in something, the more you want it to be good news for everyone, which was my core driving focus in Christianity. Like, damn, like you are just ripe for exploitation. And again, if if we're talking about emotionally immature people are drawn to evangelicalism, I'm like, to me, when I think about pastors, missionaries, like writers, I'm like, it seems to be a good mix of true believers and and narcissists, if I'm being perfectly honest. And those are the people that thrive in high control religion. Everybody's always been nervous of me because when if I find out something, then I share that information. I think there is a sense of unease with people like me within these groups. It's like, when are you going to go too far? So like I used to write for Christianity Today. I, write, I would write cover stories for them. They flew me out to their home offices to kind of like show me around and, you know, all this stuff. And two weeks after they, I got back from that trip, I on Twitter said something about, I agree with Sarah Bessie who wrote this post about being affirming of same-sex marriage. And they called me on the phone and they were like, you're no longer allowed to write for us in any capacity. And I was like, why? And they're like, well, we saw that you retweeted Sarah Bessie's. Wow. And I was like, so? And they're like, so obviously you don't affirm the sanctity of scripture. I was like, I do. Like, let's have this conversation right now. And I was like on my back deck, like yelling about how much I love the Bible. And they just kept saying over and over again, like, no, it's clear you don't. And I was like, well, where is this written down in your policy? And they're like, it's a verbal policy. I was like, well, you never told me. You know, all this stuff. Isn't that convenient that it's not written down? Thank you. Again, autistic me is just like, I knew that that's like one of the hot button issues. And so I was like, well, I won't write about that for your magazine. But like- I'm writing about these other important things. I can't believe you just told me how valuable I was to you. And I did this one thing. And now you're telling me I don't respect the Bible. And I was just, yeah, it's just I like, was freaking out. 
being a Christian at any church ever, anywhere. That is worst. We so told we'll you say, Christians started ca- cancel culture. So Christians it's like cancel culture. Yeah. No, looking back now, there are like certain things that make a lot of sense. Like Danielle, you had a cover story for Christianity Today, right? About like oh not drinking gosh. alcohol. Oh my gosh. So she wrote this story about how she doesn't drink alcohol. I went through and- a big anti-alcohol phase okay because of what like what purpose well, what all, christian because... reason well you could... you could read my article no just kidding um <laughs> oh, okay time, um, I was insert living... plug to christianity today do not here. read it <laughs> do not read it but basically here's the real story they on some writers forum caitlin Beatty, who was then the managing editor of christianity today, was like i'm looking for someone who would want to write a story about them choosing to not drink alcohol. And I was like, well, I don't drink alcohol. And so that was my first cover story for them. That was my in into CT looking back, right. They're just looking for a voice Mm. that promotes their magazine says what they want to say. And that is what pitching is. You write to the audience. And so I know some of that stuff, but I was living in low income housing at the time. And so many of my neighbors were in just the throes of addiction issues. And uh, I think it was really triggering to me to see how like kids in those families where parents consumed a lot of alcohol, drugs, all these other things. I was very triggered by that. And so I was just like, I would rather not drink. And well, and you were doing um, everything at that point to be super respectful, like the way you dressed, like you, cause you were working with a ton of Muslim revenue. So I think also like those cultures, they don't drink like, yeah, they don't drink. And also like social media, the way it views like that was in the height of the wine mommy phase. And I'm just like, you guys, kids need to be safe. Like, I just, I feel a little weird around glamorizing, numbing. I, I think I've shifted a little bit when it comes to that. But like, I don't know if I posted a picture of no, this is why it's hilarious because she, ever since that article, if we have a drink, because I'm always, I, I've talked about this on the podcast. <laughs> I'm the person in our family that like comes home and opens a bottle of wine and we're like, yeah. hey. And so Danielle's always like, okay, but don't post about it on social media. I'm like, whatever. You like a good gin and tonic sometimes. I do. <laughs> and it should, Danielle, this- you know. You know, I introduced or I got I got Meg on the weeds. Like I'm I'm the bringer of the party. She's like, the libations queen. I'm like the libations. she gives without asking to receive i was saying you're the libations goddess but i forgot i muted myself because i was eating a high too (laughs) bring them bring it for the whole class okay we want to hear your anyone want all the grape grape ones no i don't want a grape high chew i love the grape flavor all right save them for danielle i'm I'm gonna send them all to you my favorite address later Okay, so I think what should this be like the DL Mayfield exclusive where I say that I love marijuana? <laughs> yes, what? yes. Tell With us your all about it, mom friends. Please, how did you, know you we did convert from we that did an entire episode on drugs and how much we love them? Bill, that <laughs> I've never talked about it. I've never talked about it. I've never posted about it, and I've had similar like autistic feelings. I used to be like. I'll never try marijuana until every wrongfully incarcerated person is set free from prison, which honestly is admirable. Like, I love that about myself. And when you look at the history of how marijuana has been used by cultures who have been oppressed, how they've used it to regulate their nervous systems, and then the United States criminalize that, like, has has led to mass incarceration of Black people. Like, 
this is the hard part about being autistic, right? I'm just like, this is so fucked up to be a white lady who gets to buy like a hundred milligrams of THC for $6 that I spread out over six weeks and it helps me calm down. Like, I feel really weird about just joking about that because of this history with how this tool has been criminalized in the United States. So this is a picture into what it's like to be me. And I'm just like processing this in real time. It's great for me. Great for nervous system regulation. Uh, It's a hundred percent connected to me being able to be in touch with my body as well. Um, Conflicted vibes only. Conflicted vibes only y'all like here we go. That's your way. I will say, I mean, Meg, uh, I've seen Meg react. Like we went into a really like, We've been into some fancy weed stores together, my friend. Bougie yeah. weed stores. Oh, no. Yeah. So bougie. You went too late in Palm Springs. Remember, I that know. Was the I, yes. I was, that was struggling in that place. With, yeah. <laughs> Let yeah. me tell but you. I, I think the first time Meg and I ever went to a weed store together, we walked out and she was just like, expunge all the records. Like, she looked like, and I'm so terrible. I mean, I just, those, this is why I know our brains are different because it does not. I mean, I do care about those things. And I like think that. I agree with everything you said, Danielle, but when I am in there buying my edibles, that is not. I know, but I'm just, I cannot believe that white people are now profiting off of it while there's still people in prison. Like it is. And again, when we think about people using it to relax in Mm -hmm. a really oppressive system and having that be criminalized, it's just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I imagine the idea of like me on my back patio I just, I got a bong for the first time in December and, uh, I never had smoked a bong before that. And so I just imagine if like the police came in aggressively, cause you know, they're not going to be friendly about it. And just that, like that, that sacred space where you just kind of get to center yourself and be, I talk about it as like, I'm the most present with the people that I'm with in the moment that I'm in. And I get to experience it without the millions of other things bombarding me in my brain. And to then have that destroyed by this horrifying, like racist squad of people, it's so fucking frustrating. And it's frustrating that we're still like talking about fixing this still. Like, yeah. I mean, that's it's, annoying. It's it's totally the new Jim Crow. And so I think that's, again, a part of even my deconversion, right, from Christianity is also this, and this has been going on for me for forever. Like my first book was called Assimilate or Go Home, Notes from a Failed Missionary on Rediscovering Faith. And it was about me realizing like my good news is only good news for people just like me. Like, mm-hmm. and that goes with Christianity and my view of what it means to be an American, right? The American dream. It's only available to people like me. And so for me, like Christian supremacy is so tied to Christian nationalism, which is finally, you know, in in the conversation around here. But it's like, yeah, I think the high control elements of evangelicalism, right, lead to authoritarianism, which leads to like, yes, these measures that the U.S. implements are necessary needed you can't really interrogate it that much and i'm like well i've i've deconstructed all of that i now you know and it's hard i think it's hard i don't know where all you are at but like so many systems are failing so many of them are crumbling and if you're 
grew up evangelical, you might have this panic that's like, well, I have to fix it then. Like, yeah. Because we still have these vestiges of like, God wants us to change the world. God wants us to save the world. God wants us to fix things. God has specifically given us insight into history and how humans are and like work, work, work. And Jesus was perfect. Jesus literally did everything perfect. Like you should try to be like that. And, and I'm just like, oh damn, like maybe we are just living in a crumbling world and we can just try and survive it. You know, that's where I, where I'm at now. I feel like maybe, you know, Jesus died in his 30s. So look, we're still here. And uh, maybe, maybe like we're done. Like maybe we're done living by Jesus as an example because I didn't get martyred. You didn't get martyred. Like it didn't happen. So now we get to just try maybe living our life without his influence as like the one guiding shining bright light. Yeah, people get real mad when I say I have de- like deconstructed Jesus too. Because I think, and this is actually something my husband Christopher told me. He's like, he was shocked when a you know a few months ago I was like, I'm not a Christian anymore. It feels great. He was like, I totally thought you'd be like, I'm not a Christian, but I love Jesus. I still think Jesus is super great. And I was like, Jesus is a tool of high control religion. No, like the Jesus I was introduced to kept me in high control religion, kept me hating myself. Yeah. There's always something to live up to. Like the care on the stick that made me just never match up. Yeah. Jesus could heal people. I was, I, I put myself in low income housing with refugees. Like these people need some fucking miracles in their lives. Okay. Yeah. And I surrounded myself with them. I prayed, I tried to show up and I couldn't fix it. Yeah. And I did not see God intervening. And yet I had a mom, I went to colleges where they were like, no, God does intervene in humanity. Like when you speak in tongues and he'll heal people who go to Bible college, if their leg is like slightly shorter than the other leg, like God mm-hmm. totally intervenes in the world. And if you're not speaking in tongues or if you're not experiencing healings, or if you're not seeing people come to Christ, then obviously the problem's with you. Mm-hmm. And so this interventionist God who only seemed to intervene you know, very sporadically and for other Christians for very minor things, uh, you know, like I had to wrestle with that as I'm living in these traumatized spaces, you know, as I'm being surrounded by trauma over and over and over again. So I'm like, when I say I deconstruct Jesus, that's what I mean. I deconstruct the idea of an interventionist God because that God's pretty monstrous. If God is showing up at Asbury and not in Turkey and Syria where millions of people are dying, like, that is an ethical monstrosity. Yeah, and now that we live guy. in like, yeah. And if and now we live in like a pluralistic society with access to social media. And so I think people who commit to this idea of that kind of interventionist God have to do so much work to convince themselves that other people deserve their suffering yeah. that they don't even know what they're turning into. And I just want to say like, let's pump the brakes. Let's look at the logical conclusions of your interventionist God. Sorry, I'm I'm sorry, I'm getting well, too intense. Right I, now. You're just, uh, you're just no, making we me love all that. excited to do the part where I'm like, and also <laughs> that's the whole thing about the Republican Party and the Christian right yeah. as well. Because what you're talking about is exactly what they do on a macro level for the entire nation. This is, I mean, this is full on white supremacy, dominionism, the papal bull, the doctrine of discovery, like. All of that shit is tied to this exact same thing. This isolation and repression 
systematically of people who are brought into the religion, either because they converted for some reason, like they might've had an addiction and they found a way through it and out of it by having this community or whatever it is, or more, more in our situations that they have children and they bring them into this place. Like that is not different than how people reproduce politically as well. And when we have ourselves aligned with like the Christian nationalism, white supremacist, like corners of this country, we, we really are playing with some fire, like hellfire. If you ask me, if I believed in Christian hell, this would be it. And those would be the people that go there, but that's (laughs) not what we're seeing. But what we see is more Christians being militant and more Christians claiming that their own persecution complex and turning this idea of what is reality? Is it malleable? We can make it whatever we want, apparently kind of situation into our political and day-to-day reality, which is also like way terrible. Why did I say that? Ugh. I love it. I was, I was vibing with you and you know, the, the, the overlap here is authoritarianism. Yes. So high control religions, right. Prime you for authoritarianism and not only to go with authoritarianism, but to crave it, to yeah. clamor for it, to be excited for it. And, uh, you know, the Republican Party has put all their chips in, right, with, yes, well, we will be that for you. And I just think, like, I, I think the studies have shown, like, 30 to 40% of a population, right, is highly susceptible to high-control situations that create people primed for authoritarianism. And that's all you need, right, to take control of a country. We see this in Nazi Germany. And I don't think that's an overused analogy because it was good white Christians, right, who loved authoritarianism that went with the Nazi party. And, like, that's literally what's happening here. And I think for me and Lindsay, we have a lot of grief to unpack. And we kind of have our own journeys with this, with realizing, like, our parents see nothing wrong with that. Right. And I don't know, Lindsay, if that's too intense or too deep for you. <laughs> if you want to, if you want to talk about if you've processed that at all, if you've thought about what the implications are with the end goal being us being Republicans who love authoritarianism. Um, I mean, that's what our parents hoped for us. They gave up on you sooner, but that doesn't mean they don't still want you to be like that. Right. I mean, they know I'm not going to be a Republican. That is uh, <laughs> that ship sailed. Do they actually yeah, a know long, that? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I even used to like get on Danielle's case because homegirl used to vote for Jesus. And oh, was a long time ago. I wrote in Jesus <laughs> for president. She, but she did, and I was like, dude, how is that helping anybody? I was not oh. about it. Oh. That was in your Shane Claiborne days. It was that her Shane was in my Shane Claiborne. It's Obama's first time. I did vote for him the second time. Okay. I got off my stupid high horse. Okay. <laughs> but I have to would deep be dive better. into Shane Claiborne because I don't know this. Dark yeah, no. neither do I. Reference. I'm no. sorry. No, He's like a hippie, progressive Christian, barefoot, yeah. burlap, lives Perfect. with the poor. That's exactly you know, that what stuff. I assumed he yeah. was. But yeah, cool. That's fun. He's supposed to be this paragon of like progressive Christianity. And he's like pretty excited about the Asbury revival. And I was just like, no, thank you. Also, he's never been openly supportive of queer people. So I'm just like, y'all, it's it's just, it's just a lot. My theory of the the left wing and the right wing are really just one big circle and they always touch tips. 
there's just <laughs> that one, those like two fringe sides that you're like, oh, I'm anti-vax. And this person's like, ooh, me too. And then this person's <laughs> like, oh, I only sew my own clothes from burlap. And this person's like, oh, hell yeah. And then permaculture and then make our own essential oils. And then you have yourselves the perfect business plan that hits across the aisle. It's an MLM. And I'd like to sell you shares in it tonight on the ground. <laughs> it's, we can it's get in. True. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> Go to Holy Ghosting slash. <laughs> Damn it. I messed it up. Go to patreon.com slash Holy Ghosting. <laughs> And sign up to get in on our MLM where we sell. What are we selling? Essential oils. Probably. I don't know. Yeah, something like, about the tips. So, I don't. Oil uh, goils. That's oil yes. goils. Yes. <laughs> Christian-ish um, oil goils. <laughs> when I clean my hair out of the shower, I'm sure we could fashion that into something useful for mm, someone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I've got a lot of hair for you then. That okay. is like Perfect. constant when I take a shower. We're solving two problems at once. One like problem it. no one had and a problem everyone had. We'll see what happens. Danielle, what are what are some things that you're doing now that are that have helped you to shift? Are you still doing spiritual practices and how has that shifted or changed for you? That's a, that's a really good question because the answer is no. The answer is like I went from this being literally what I woke up thinking about, thought about all day long. I I obviously had you know, religious scrupulosity and ethical perfectionism. And so for me, God got turned into like this, yeah, this progressive Christian ethic of like, am I making the most ethical decision at all times, like to love my neighbor? And that impacted where I lived, where I sent my kids to school, like what I allowed myself to think, what I allowed myself to watch, what I allowed my, myself to do for myself. And I think for me, I've just needed the quiet. And so, yeah, I, I don't do any spiritual practices. I am really focusing on listening to my body because my brain doesn't always tell the truth, but the body never lies. Like your body never lies to you and your body will tell you what it needs to heal. And what's really unfortunate is so many of us don't want to listen to our bodies because if we did, we would have to change so much about our lives yeah. and and people feel stuck. And if you feel like that, if you're like, well, I can't listen to my body, I can't listen to my grief. I can't listen to my anger. I can't listen to my rage. I just want to say that it's going to be okay. Like you will survive this and you will figure out that you can be there for yourself. God's not coming to fix it. Okay. Mm. Like God's not coming. I mean, that might sound really sad to people, but you know, what's sadder is to live your life doing everything right and expecting God to keep coming and making things better. And it doesn't. And I think even for myself being surrounded by Christians who were really deeply unhealthy people and who were mentally unwell and who were traumatizing other people doing all sorts of shit and then defending all sorts of other shit, you know, just, and, and just being convinced that they were right because they bought into this ideology. It's like, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be that kind of person. And so I've stopped all of them and I'm actually really enjoying that. I think in the beginning I kept saying like, I'm sure I'll come back to it because I'm a really spiritual person. I've, I've been really spiritual my whole life. And now I am just realizing 
like how much religious trauma I have. Me and my husband just went to Disneyland for like two days. And it was like earth shattering to be like, we can just go and have fun and not think about things and come home. And when I got home, I remember going to bed and being like, I feel this compulsion to say, thank you, God. That was such a great trip. And I was like, God didn't do shit. Like my husband worked really hard to get the money so we could afford this. I worked really hard to find a babysitter that my kids actually feel safe with. Like I worked, you know, and I just reminded me like anything positive that happened in my life up until this last year was God. Anything negative was me. And if you Mm. live like that long enough, like what do you think is going to happen to your mental health? Like, of course I hate myself and I have so much work to do to learn to just be a human. And I, and I think that other people's spiritual experiences are totally valid. And I, I think I'm just okay with saying like, but I don't think I experience it like that. And so for me, like, that's where I'm at. I do feel so anxious talking about this right now because mm-hmm. I don't want to like negate anybody's spiritual experiences they've had. And I just don't want to do that. And so I really hope people can hear me and say like, I'm deconverting from religious indoctrination. And I think if you grew up in evangelicalism, you probably have to do some of that work. Yeah. And it might mean you need to take a break from spirituality because yeah. if you grew up evangelical in the 80s and 90s, like that was the boon of religious propaganda for children. And our parents went all in on it. Like Dr. Dobson is one of the most harmful psychologists yes. to ever. I yeah, I, no I don't think shit. we have even scratched the surface. No. And he knew what he was fucking doing. He knows attachment science. Like he knows what it does to a kid when you break their spirit. And that's what he wrote his books about. Dare to Discipline and The Strong-Willed Child were about making your child so terrified that they conformed to you and lost themselves. And the whole point was to teach kids to be disconnected from themselves and their bodies so that they would go along with the party line. I'm sorry. That is really intense shit. Yeah. And of course it didn't stick on everybody, but it is true. And it impacts neurodivergent people more than others. Like we are more easily exploited in that capacity. Hmm. And it's, it's wrong. But again, like Lindsay, I'm sure everybody here on this call has a different experience, but we all have been indoctrinated, right? Yeah. Against our wills and have to deal with that the rest of our lives. And I think that like what we always try to bring it back to is knowing that like, I mean, Meg and Sarai and I are all in very different places and we all have to like- and we have a lot of love and respect for one another. And so I think that like, it's just important to remember, like, it, it's okay where you're at right now. If you're asking those questions, if you found yourself on the other side of it, um, I really love like going back to our conversation with Derek Webb. I really love that his whole thing is like, I'm not a fan of certainty. Mm-hmm. Like his whole thing is like, you can't be certain about anything. And he's like, you know, he's like, yeah, there's things that I believe, but it just having to be all in on something is, yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of that at this point in my life. And it's funny because, you know, you are speaking with some certain, like when you were like, God is not coming. It's like one of those things where I <laughs> would remind people that like that, that is where Danielle is at. Yes. And if you, if that uh-huh. doesn't resonate with you, that's also okay. And like, and I think that one of the things I've noticed with you is that people, there's a lot of expectation for you to come back. And I think mm-hmm. that that's the thing is that like people can do with the damn well, please. And I think that like, 
sometimes maybe leaving and coming back makes it more healthy for you and makes you have a different view of religion. But a lot of people just leave and never come back. And I think because of specifically how we were raised, like the type of religion we were raised in, like it makes sense to me that a lot of people don't come back. And sometimes I don't even, like I joke with these ladies, I'm like, I don't even know why. Like, I think it's literally just because I found a church community that I believe in and a priest who is like doing incredible work and, a, and basically a community who's like here. Okay, great. You have ideas of how to give hygiene supplies to houses people. You do that. And I'm like, okay. You know, like it, it's, it's more about like the, the good people. Uh, Sorry. I, I see that hand. Did you Thank have a, you. Yes, I have a <laughs> confession? No, I just, along these lines, I think one of the most important things to me, and this has been true since I started my own Exodus back in 2004, when I was like naming it and really understanding what was happening. The truth is there are a million billion different ways to kind of quote, quote, Holy ghost, your religion or other damaging things or like in doctrines or beliefs or vows or whatever that you've made so many different ways to go through them in them without them. And I think the most exciting path is the path that you get to build for yourself as you take your own steps away from this is a wall of lies that people have told me, sorry to speak so certainly, but um, I could speak kinder. It's a wall of mythology that has helped me have one view of reality that I was given from my birth. And now as I'm growing and these stories no longer serve the truth of my life or the truth of what I observe in the universe, what new mythologies or no mythologies or my own home woven socks that I spun from a sheep that I have on my property and I've got that goodwill and I made my own knitting needles, whatever it is, like who fucking cares? You can do anything you want to. But the most important part of it is you. The most important part of it is what do I need for my own healing? What do, how do I make sense of this experience I've had growing up in this literally abusive religion that does yeah. damage you, that does leave you, especially as fucking women and people who are gender nonconforming and people who are not fucking white, all get worse treatment than any of us but we were girls. So we had it worse than the boys at least. But the, but the truth of like trying to control and control and repress people into these little neat boxes is never going to be good for us. And so when we're leaving those little boxes, it's, it's hard to make sense of what the next container is going to be. And I think it's just what, what container do I want to move into today? Maybe my container is, I don't know. And I don't need to know. Like it's, it's, it's an open choice for everybody. My, yeah. uh, my, my marketing mind is very, cause I'm like, this season is on taboos and sorry, you just did a very good job of talking about like, literally we are talking to people who don't fit into the narrow confines of evangelicalism, which is why we're talking to Danielle about neurodivergence and how, and we know that your experience is not an outlier. Like this many, many, many people were harmed in evangelicalism. And I can't imagine any person with a neurodivergent brain thriving in that, you know, you may think that you are, but yeah, the, the buying in is, and it makes me sad. I hate that we had different, like I, I thing that I'm having to reckon with, I joke a lot about my skepticism and how I like got the F out as soon as I could, you know, and, and made my own choice. You know, I was like getting the heck out to Southern California to go work in music as soon as I could. And of course, did I like, 
I feel like I swapped one thing for another for a little while. Like I was also, you know, not, it was like, I look back on that time and I'm like, oh, I worked like for any record label that, and I was the only female employee. And like, I gave my whole, I went into debt working for them. Like, oh it was like, gosh. oh, I just kind of, sw- yeah, I, they paid me, they pay you in cool points yeah. turns out when you work for a record label. And they also do things like tell you that even though there's an office that opened up that you can move into that they like having you sit up front because you have a welcoming presence. Oh, like, no. They mean boobs. Yeah. Boobs. I was the only person there <laughs> who had boobs. Always, and you've always had really good boobs. I mean, so I get where they're coming from with that. <laughs> but I Lindsay, got, I got I, so mad, but this is my personality though. I got so mad when they told me that uh, I just grabbed my stuff and I moved into an office without anyone's permission. Yeah, I was over. I was great. like, yeah, I'm done. I'm not doing that. So. so, so I think we have all these funny stories from our childhood of things like Lindsay getting prophesied over being told she was a doubting Thomas. And it's because Lindsay just personality neurotype, all of that is Lindsay has a lot of a set of a sense of autonomy. So you have retained a sense of autonomy, which is like every person should have that. And I think for me as an autistic person, I didn't ever develop that. And that was seen as so helpful, right? To evangelicalism, to have people who don't develop their own autonomy is the goal, right? And Mm -hmm. so now that's really the work I have to do is I do have to, and I get to be in charge. I loved what you said, Sarai, just like whatever comes next, like I'm in charge of it. And that feels great. I will say I'm a little annoyed at some of the discourse around people who talk publicly about deconstructing. And, and I use the word deconversion just because I don't really yeah. resonate with a ton of the deconstruction conversations, but it's sort of like, oh, we look down on people who are too intense, who are like in their angry atheist phase. And I'm just like, let people live. If they yeah. a cult, like <laughs> let them fucking be angry. Like, yeah. Let them be weird. And I just think, like, just stop thinking that you should control how another person does anything, including deconstruct. Yes, okay. 100%. Like, we're done yes, controlling I mean, yeah. other stop people. Doing that. Stop like, that. Also, can we now understand why, like, the myth of like the angry black woman, right? Like you see where, like you have every right to be angry. Exactly. Yet people are, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of times in our culture where we're like, oh, can you just not be so mad? Can you and tone like, it down. And I just also, like, no, no, this shit's fucked up. I will Civility. not tone it down. Yeah, also no. coming from the people who believe in righteous anger. <laughs> I just, yeah. I love, I think it's awesome, Danielle, that you use the word uh, the phrase angry atheist, because that's always how I thought about it when I was like first it like 2004, this, it was still the emerging church moment. You know, it was still like, maybe church can just be cool, but I was like, we can save it with coolness. Yeah. yeah. It's weird. And no, I think I can't do it now, but I also didn't quite know how to walk away from it. I, all I knew was I couldn't not believe in something godish, (laughs) God light, godness, not the way that I knew God. And I also didn't, I was, I didn't want to become quote, a bitter, angry atheist Yeah, because those were the two options. Like you stay a Christian or you are an angry atheist. There's no other thing in between, which is like classic Christian binary. But that, I mean, that is the magic is like between those two extremes, there's infinite choices that people can make. Like, let's just yeah. think fractally for one second. This, you could do anything that's not these two extremes anywhere you want to, or you could pick one of the st- extremes, whatever, who cares? You, you get to pick it, but just, I don't know. Why don't we stop being assholes? Care about people. 
shit like that. I have a that's my idea. <laughs> Anyone else second that? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Wait. I want to be a little bit of an asshole and I think that's like I need to like work on that. Yes. Myself. You know, it's Danielle, I, I love that, that for you. Okay. Yeah, we're and here I, for it. Well, I do yep. want to also say like as I've been conceptualizing this because I do trigger people a lot and on social media I'm very honest and blah blah blah. Um, I mean, you're a classic Enneagram one. Yes. And this, Enne- this Enneagram three is like, oh no, I have to be much more likable. <laughs> like people, <laughs> people need to fucking adore me. Well, so. I, I thought that people would like to see things clearly, like from an ethical standpoint, but no, people don't actually want to do that. So I think for me, how I'm conceptualizing it these days is like, I don't have a problem with individual Christians and individual spirituality. And I it truly it is not my place to judge, but I am talking about the systems. Okay. Yeah. I am talking yeah. about the systems and people get so triggered and then make it personal. Yep. And yep. I'm just like, I think it's okay to actually make some broad statements about these systems being really bad, looking at the impact of the theologies. And if it hurts one person, then it's a bad theology. Like, one of my favorite scripture verses, which again, I don't read scripture anymore. Right. But when Jesus is like talking about kids, he's like, if you cause any of these little kids to suffer, if you cause them to stumble. And he's talking to religious people like you should be drowned in the sea. Like somebody should put a millstone around your neck and throw you in the ocean if you hurt these kids. And I'm I'm here to say I was hurt by growing up as an autistic kid in evangelicalism. Mm hmm. And you have you have a multitude of responses you could have to me saying that out loud. And I just want people to sit with their responses. Like if you have the knee-jerk reaction to defend Christianity or be like, but I'm not like that, or my parents yes. weren't like that, or well, your parents were really intense and mine weren't that bad. And it did it. Like, just listen to yourself. Just mm-hmm. calm down. Just take a moment and just sit with other people as they share. We don't lie. You guys, our bodies are not lying. And us being honest about the pain we've experienced, like we're not making this shit up. And so I, I sorry, that's all, all that I'll just end on that note. Like I don't, I really don't want to come for individuals and their and their spirituality. But I'm also tired of when I talk about the systems, people making it so personal. Yes. I'm like, dude. Yeah. Dude. Yes. Faith is so deeply personal. Yeah. And I think that like that it's hard for people to divorce that in themselves and not feel like because you've made this choice that then you're ragging on them for not having made the same choice. And that's right. just, you know, people's own projection. And I think it's just an uncomfortable thing to sit with. And I also just think it's sad, like bringing up that verse, like, thinking about what Jesus said versus like what the people who claim to follow Jesus do and the disconnect. I mean, we've talked a million, I mean, this podcast is basically about the disconnect between evangelical Christians, like what they do versus like what they supposedly believe. Like the chasm is very wide there and it never ceases to be infuriating and depressing all at the same time. It's a, it's, a fun, it's it, we do try to have fun on this podcast, but at the end of the day, like we are talking about heavy shit, right? Like we try to come at it with a little bit of levity occasionally. So Sarai likes to bring, you know, I mean, we talk about, I mean, we're in our text thread. We, the, the Josh Butler article is what forever going to be it's the Jesus jizz article. Like oh that will gosh. be it's generosity is, and a woman's <laughs> hospitality for receiving this generous bestowance of semen upon and 
Within her, Within so her. has the penis of Christ penetrates the church with his <laughs> spirit and his words. Fucking Josh. And his jizz. <laughs> and his jizz. I'm sorry to anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about. There's an article on the Gospel Coalition this week. We'd link uh, it, I... but it's absolute garbage. So instead, and you it, should look for Twitter got taken parodies down. of it. Oh, what? So you'll have to wait for the book to come out and the conference that's coming to a church near you. Wow. We have to start a gossip just... column that we <laughs> record right after this because now I need to know what happened. You know, I just, I just really need like another heterosexual guy to tell me about you know sex and how it relates to mm-hmm. god like mm-hmm. i yes. just i'm just craving that you and what, what the mean? woman's role is within that system yes please yeah. remind me that your penis makes you closer to god it is it just really turns me on please <laughs> hey but they're like, the I only mean, one with an antenna we are we all know that i mean people <laughs> think that this is like so out of left field but i'm like our dad me and Lindsay's dad is a Christian pastor who talked about sex a lot in sermons and said things like sex is a picture of, you know, God. And all, all like this is just like patriarchal normative theology. And Josh just takes it to the next level. But it's the same thing. That's I guess that's where I get a little intense. I'm like, yes, we can always make fun of the Josh Butlers, but it's like it's the it's the majority of churches in the United States are, are preaching a version of that. And they don't understand when we rip it to shreds on TikTok. They're like, what? This is literally what we all believe. This theology. <laughs> yeah, you telling me you don't believe this? Well, I'm sorry. You're not going to heaven because belief is how we get there. Sorry, I just opened another can of worms. Just kidding. We don't have to go into that one. I mean, I will say, thank goodness for TikTok. I think it's like saving us all. Danielle sends me such intense, funny ones, but also intense. There's some days I'm like, Danielle, I'm not in the mood for you to- <laughs> No, I'm on therapy talk right now. And so I'm just sending Lindsay so many like therapy TikToks. And it's all I'm about if to- your parents were like this. And I'm like, I know, Danielle, <laughs> I know. Danielle- Lindsay's like avoidant mask on. Collect, yes. Connect with me and send those to me because I still have okay. to work out all my mom shit. If she ever listens to this podcast, she Meg, won't listen to this podcast. Meg's mom is the <laughs> only mom that not. listens, and she's a big yeah. Lisa. Thank you. Hi, for Lisa. Lisa. She's Mimi. Mimi. Hi, Mimi. Mimi. Big fan. Oh, Mimi. Okay. Mimi. Uh, I am. I am excited for Mimi and Lois to start their boomers only um, post episode, yeah. like after t- chat, yeah. kind of like the <gasps> wind yeah. down. Yeah, it's the wind down, but for wine. the boomer ladies. Yeah, yeah they after they listen to Holy Ghosting. They get out their jug of Ernest Gallo wine, <laughs> just a little round. How dare you? And... How dare you? <laughs> I'm just and saying... then you guys have to have like the kids version, like the Gen Z, Gen oh, Alpha. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I mean, Lindsay's child, Margot. I just know you guys. I know. Oh, like Margot's kid... going to burn it uh-huh. down. Yeah. My like, kid Margo's is like straight up an atheist. He's like, science is the only thing that makes sense. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Yes. Let's make believe shit. Do you guys, are you alive in the world right now? Like he's like, look around. Guys, she I is realize, going crazy. I realize that, like Dinia, or that Margo like doesn't know what hell is. She's eight years old and she oh, doesn't know what hell is. I love this. And for like her. I really, really love this for her. Wow. And such a good mom. My child in a myriad of ways. Yeah. I think you have to show but, like, her Carmen's revival in the land. Yeah. <laughs> when she you, you know, I think I've told you guys it's about this about this before but she's having a hard time understanding that there are churches that don't like gay people like she's yeah. like wait what that's a thing mm-hmm. and like we're starting to get into it because conversations about her grandparents uh you know have she's now aware unfortunately yeah. 
But what you guys were saying earlier reminded me of, I'm sure we've, when I was talking about TikTok, that, that person who is doing the worship covers, but making them be about their deconversion. Mm-hmm. Soraya and I have big plans. We've been trying. I, I did. I recorded myself harmonizing to it. Cause I, to, I love you Lord. Cause I harmonized that song 1 million times, yeah. but it was like everything that they said in their version of it. I don't know if you've seen though. It's like the, I love my life. And I celebrate how much I've grown since I walked away. <gasps> and oh. and then it says, and you hear it to the tune of mm-hmm. I love you, Lord. And then it's um, I take up space and I choose my steps. All of me is beautiful and I deserve rest. I'm gonna start crying. Oh I cry every time I hear it. Oh it's really, really beautiful. Wow. And that's and I just I can't even remember their name. Um and so whoever is making that music out there on TikTok, it, it, it's at first when I saw it, I honestly couldn't, it made me like too sad. Like yes. that was my, like yeah. it's cause it's, it just hits the nail on the fucking head. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, we'll link to that in the show notes. And if Sarai and I get our shit together, we will. Oh my God. I hope you I hope you do sing because that is connected to our bodies like if you grew up like we did we had to sing songs like that not just once a week maybe twice a week like think about how many hours your body has spent singing swaying and repeating this basically it's a thought control experiment like you're re- saying these words that you're supposed to believe and if you don't believe it then you better try really hard to believe it while you're singing it and so like to me, I'm like, again, it's so prevalent in our upbringings, but I'm like, that's brainwashing, y'all. That is just brainwashing. Oh, and I, yeah, I a lot of sing- cultures do like music and all that. They are not doing it how we did it in the 80s and 90s and beyond. Yeah. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's taking these cultural religious frameworks and then twisting them into this thought control. So we we have to sing we have to sing out different words we have to get this out of our bodies this is like my new kick it's like especially the worship music we got to get it well, out and it okay. sounds like you then, want to yeah then i'll do well i used to okay so here's a weird thing i used to to fall asleep, and nights when i couldn't fall asleep i would sing there was a really repetitive worship song that i would just sing in my head over and over and over again until i fell asleep because it was just like instead of like counting sheep or whatever that was that was the thing but I have racked my brain and I cannot remember what song it was. And so it, which is so weird to me because for years I did this and I'm like, again, is this another, like, what is my brain doing to me? It was like blocking this. It was like the Asbury stuff. I was like, oh, right. Mm-hmm. I, there was a revival at my college and it yeah. was super weird. And I had blocked that from my memory. So I'm sure TikTok will tell me one of these days what that means about, I think I just like permanently disassociate. <laughs> Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. Fun <laughs> time. Like there's some work to be done. <laughs> doing it. I'm trying, y'all. I don't know. I, right. Look, we're we're starting the journey. We're on the journey. We're not going to ever end this journey. I think that's, we, we're all just yep. here for it. And the fact that we can share this stuff and, and re-remember it. Like, there's things that I shared here that y'all were like, mouths agape like what and it's important that we can recognize like these things were not normal and we did grow up in a way that we thought was beautiful and kind and loving and accepting and that's just not what was happening so it's okay it's okay because we now get to live that life and we get to be the ones who are loving and kind and accepting and 
I love this idea that we get to make our own future and decide who we want to be and how we want to show up. And we get to just stop listening to all the bullshit. So I'm not there yet. None of us are there yet, but we get, we get to choose our steps and we get to take up space. Like I really want to go listen to that now. And I just want to say like, can we all give ourselves a pat on the back? Because we are in the middle of life healing from growing up this way and trying to parent our kids in a different way. And and I just don't think people understand like the amount of work that takes to create a healthy space for our kids when we didn't have that ourselves growing up. And so I just want to take a moment and say, you know, we've had to overcome a lot, like, and I don't know if it always gets validated, just being in the midst of boomer parents like that with kids who are really different and us being in the middle being like oh shit I have some healing to do you know I have some work to do if I don't want to perpetuate trauma so good on us it's a lot of work but it's totally worth it yeah it is I mean I think that's as good a place as any to uh Say goodbye. To say, to say goodbye. Uh, oh, I did my usual thing, which is I brought down the vibes, and I am no, sorry. That was, no, that, that was, was a good. wind down. It's perfect. That was a patting us on the back. Yeah. That was a good vibe. It wasn't. You know, I it wasn't. What, a, what we learned is we all have a hard time saying thank you, and yeah, uh, I'm going to receive that. So thank you, Danielle. I'm going to receive you. that. That is a really important thing to remember and to give myself grace and to also applaud every other person who's working through their own shit and fear and trembling. And, uh, but you know what? We get to do it. Holy ghosting style. That's because we are holy ghosting. Meg says something about Patreon here. (laughs) (laughs) Go become an eternal ghosty at patreon.com forward slash holy ghosting. Everyone, please go follow Danielle, especially on TikTok. You're my absolute favorite over there. Um, I'm a lurker. I don't do a lot of commenting, mostly because I get triggered about things in the comment section often. Um, But I will like and I will boost and I will repost all the time. So please go find Danielle at all the places. If you're a podcast listener, if you're a book reader, uh, if you're a TikTok person, go find her at all those places. D.O. Mayfield. I'm there. I'm there. But said goodbye to the guy. Substack and TikTok are like where it's at these days for me. I'm loving it. And you guys have a great TikTok yourself. Thanks, Lindsay. Lindsay. Yeah. Oh, we it's do. all Lindsay. I thought we it was have May, a fun TikTok. Right, and Lindsay. Okay. Yeah, uh, we'll, get, well, we'll I, get there. I make a cameo now and then when I'm with them and they film we direct post Sarai to yeah. tell her. Yeah. They're like, can me. we throw a football at your face? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> And and most of our TikTok ideas are from when I'm high. And I'm like, <laughs> I write, I have a notes app, like dedicated to my high TikTok ideas for the podcast where I keep, and I'm just like, I remember just being like, audio adrenaline. No, I don't want football in heaven. That's, what That's perfect. Yes. That was That's it. the idea. Oh my gosh. I have a notes app for when I'm high and think that maybe I do believe in God. And I, I have a list of reasons why maybe God does exist that I think Whoa. about when I'm high. And like one of them just says the Muppets. Like we yeah. live in a world where we have the Muppets. Like that points to some sort of intelligent <laughs> design. 
That's... Did you write down the Disneyland Monte Cristo? Because you texted me that that might make sense. Yeah, that that's good. true. I was at high, but I was at Disneyland eating a Monte Cristo and I was like, the sandwich is so good that God is real. Like, yeah. God is real. Yeah. Like, Ask him. That was, this is people giving God credit for shit God doesn't deserve credit for. Okay. No, I think Take some it. damn credit for your own innovation. On the <laughs> In the office classic episode, The Dundies. Pam is feeling God in that chili. In that, that chilies, night. yes, yeah, yes. And I feel that way every time I go to any chain restaurant and yes. or have a lot of fun. And they have really I large drinks. It does chili. make you think about God. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Give me the kind of margarita and a hilarious fish bowl, and I will unabashedly drink it. I will. <laughs> and, and thank God. And thank later. God for it, or goddess, or yeah, amen. Whoever. Hey, ma'am. Hey, ma'am. All right. Oh, Danielle, thank you so much. Honestly, so good. You're invited to the next retreat. I overshared, but that's fine. Oh, that's that's all I want in my life. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, DL Mayfield, killing the vibe since 1984. Oh, that's cute. 